Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to those of you on our online campus, uh, as well as in our parent viewing rooms. Uh, That's a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And we're uh, wrapping up a series uh, this week and next week. So two more weeks of this series on emotional health. And the reason we said uh, that we wanted to talk about emotional health uh, during the beginning of the year is because of one sort of big idea. I want to give it to you. We've kind of been doing this every week. And the big idea is this. You cannot uh, be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. What does that mean? Uh, It means this. Our mission as a church is simply to be people helping people find and follow Jesus. So we want to be right up front about that. We want to help people discover who Jesus is and what he taught and how he lived and how he modeled for us to live and then walk together as we follow Jesus and show people what it looks like to follow him in community. So we want to be people helping other people find and follow Jesus. And following Jesus is not primarily about uh, learning a bunch of Bible verses, although we use the scriptures to guide us and to teach us. It's not primarily about theology. Uh, Learning to follow Jesus is primarily about becoming more like Jesus. It's loving the way that Jesus loved. It's trusting Jesus and enough. uh, Faith is really saying, God, I I trust you enough to do what you asked me to do. And so what happens in our relationships is uh, a big deal because If I'm going to love others like Jesus, if I'm going to be spiritually mature, then I have to also be emotionally mature. If I'm going to become more like Jesus, then it also means uh, in my emotions and the way that I interact with others, I'm going to be maturing emotionally. And sometimes we have this disconnect in sort of uh, the church world that I can be a follower of Jesus, but still remain emotionally immature and and deal with my emotions in a negative way. But hey, I, I know a lot of Bible verses, so I must be spiritually mature. But you cannot be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. And so throughout these last several weeks, we've been saying, like, what would it look like for us to mature in these areas of our emotions? And one big kind of theme verse that's helped us with this uh, is found in Proverbs. And it's this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. So we said emotions are these things that get stuck in our hearts. And eventually what happens is they make their way out. Whatever goes in eventually comes out and it affects us most in the area of relationships. And what we've learned to do as human beings is filter our hearts And that way we can hopefully avoid some discomfort or uh, some awkward or potentially even harmful situations with other people. But the reality is this wisdom of follow your heart is horrible advice. Just follow your heart. That leads to an emotional roller coaster of a life. Instead, the wisdom from the scripture says, no, you are to guard what goes into your heart because eventually what goes in makes its way out and into your relationships. And so here's some of the things we've talked about over the last uh, several weeks. These are these emotions that get stuck in our hearts. And then we said each week there's an exercise that helps us rid these things of our, uh, that, that get stuck in our hearts. The first one is this, guilt. And guilt says, I owe you. Guilt is this thing that says uh, there's an inequity in our relationship. There's, there's a debt-debtor relationship. And because of something I did or because of something I said, I want to make it up to you. I owe you an apology. I owe you. And whenever you feel that emotion inside of you, the, the best exercise to deal with guilt is confession. And we confess to God to receive forgiveness. But we also confess to the person that we have hurt or the person that we have wronged to find healing and change. And so confession is that exercise that helps rid our hearts of guilt. And then uh, we said this, anger says, you owe me. 
Anger is this debt-debtor relationship that says, because of what you said, because of what you did, uh, we're not on equal footing. You took something from me. You stole something from me. And so now you owe me. And the way to get anger out of our hearts is through forgiveness, the practice of forgiveness. And forgiveness is not an emotion. It's not like something that you feel and then you do. Forgiveness is a decision that says this. Here's what I feel you stole from me, but I'm choosing to to release you from that debt. You don't owe me anymore. And the, the reason we do that is not to let them off the hook. It lets me off the hook. That when I forgive, I actually release myself from carrying a burden of bitterness and anger and resentment. And I find the strength to forgive someone who's hurt me, not by looking at them. I find the strength to forgive someone who's hurt me by looking at the one who has forgiven me. And I remember all that I've been forgiven and I extend that to others. And then we said this, greed says, I owe me. Greed says this, God, I owe it to myself because I'm not sure you're going to take care of me. So I owe it to myself to take care of me. And so then I start to live like this because I want to make sure that I owe myself. And the truth is uh, that the best practice to release greed from our hearts because it sets in so subtly is generosity to actively and intentionally return back to God first, return back to God a percentage of what he entrusts to me. And when I regularly do that, it breaks greed in my heart. And then last week, we talked about this very awkward jealousy. And jealousy says this, God owes me. God owes me. Because I look at somebody else and I'm like, ooh, I kind of like what they have. I like the personality they have. I wish I was more like them. I wish I had the thing they had. And when I look at them, I think my issue is with them. And in reality, my issue is with God. Because I go, God, the thing that you gave them, you could have just as easily given to me. Why did you give to them something that I want? My issue isn't with them. My issue is with God. And the way that you get jealousy out of your heart is through celebration, is that you continually celebrate the people that you tend to envy and the people that you tend to be jealous of. And so this week, we're going to tackle a fifth one. And then next week, I, want, I do not want us to miss next week, we're going to talk about happiness and what does it look like to be happiness. But this week, pride. And pride says, it's all about me. Pride says, it's all about me. So guilt says, I owe you. Anger says, you owe me. Greed says, I owe me. And jealousy says, God owes me. And then pride says, it's all about me. It's all about me. And when do you think of pride, a lot of people tend to think of narcissism. When we think about this, when we, we live in a highly narcissistic age and maybe you uh, work for a narcissist or you work with a narcissist or you're married to a narcissist or maybe you have a narcissist in your life somewhere and maybe you've wondered, am I a narcissist? And uh, I want to help you with that today. So we're going to do a simple scientific exercise that we can all participate in together that will help us know if we are a narcissist. Okay, so here it is. Step one, I want you just to think about yourself. Get that locked in. All right, step two. If you made it to step two, you are not a narcissist. If you're still thinking about yourself, you might be a narcissist. And narcissists are people who think about themselves all the time. They're self-absorbed. And research actually shows that a pretty high percentage of uh, CEOs and pastors are narcissists. I don't know what that means, but that's free information for you. Uh, And so if that's you and you're like, no, truly, I am a narcissist, I would suggest that you get some help, see a counselor, please deal with that. Now, 99.9% of us aren't narcissists. It's not that we constantly think about ourselves and we're 100% self-absorbed. It's just that we tend to think this, well, if I'm not a narcissist, then I must not have an issue with pride. 
I, I guess I'd, pride just really isn't my thing then, I guess. That, that's what narcissists deal with. But pride isn't a, a narcissism issue. Pride is this. Pride is simply an obsession with self. It, it means I think about myself. And the problem is we see pride in other people and it's some type of uh, overbearing arrogance. Those are the proud people. And because you're not arrogant, you must not suffer from pride. But can I tell you, it's in all of us. It gets into our hearts. It's so easy for us to be overcome with pride. And we tend to think that pride will puff us up and, and make us more important, but it actually diminishes us. Specifically, pride diminishes our capacity to admit when we are wrong. Pride diminishes our capacity to apologize. Pride diminishes our capacity to acknowledge other people. Uh, pride creates layers and layers of emotion that make it difficult to say what really needs to be said. Compliments and encouragement. I'm proud of you. I love you. Pride creates layers and layers of emotions that make it very, very difficult to hear what needs to be heard. Criticism, uh, correction, instruction. Uh, pride creates layers and layers of emotions that make it very difficult to give what needs to be given to other people which is probably why this verse from Proverbs is quoted by both James and Peter in both of their letters. James, the brother of Jesus, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, both write letters in the first century describing for people, this is what it means to live out the way of Jesus. And both of them in their letters pull a verse from the Proverbs and quote it. And we're going to look at uh, Peter and what he writes. He's pulling from Proverbs and he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the, to the humble. So God opposes the proud. No problem, because that's not me. I'm not proud. So uh, me and God are good. Uh, and we as human beings, we trick ourselves, we fool ourselves, we lie to ourselves, and we pretend that, well, pride isn't really an issue in my life. And we can mask it, and we say things like, I'm just really good at being in charge. Or, you know, I'm just talented in this area. I'm just confident. I just tend to speak my mind. Uh, you know what? I'm just, I'm assertive. And one of the biggest ways in our culture that we mask pride is through this incredible thing that sort of pops up on social media called the humble brag. It's amazing. Maybe you guys have seen this. The humble brag goes like this. It's where someone brags about themselves, but they're able to conceal it in the context of a humble statement. For instance, I'm shocked at how many people told me I did so great this morning. I can't believe how hot it is at my all-inclusive resort in Cancun. Uh, congrats to Chris Evans for being voted sexiest man alive. I was just humbled to have been considered. And when you really start to dig into this topic of pride, we love the humble brag. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, please, please, please. And the truth is, if you dig into what pride really is, here's what you start to discover. Pride is often driven by insecurity. I, I, I feel insecure about me, and so pride is a way for me to mask my own insecurity. And can I just tell you something? The quickest way for you to forget how God sees you is to worry about how other people see you. The quickest way to forget what God thinks of you is to worry about what other people think of you. And you can think about it like this when it comes to pride and insecurity. At some point, you, you have to choose humility. And here's why. We get the word humility and the word humiliation 
from the same root. And humiliation is really humility that has been forced upon you. See, we would rather choose humility than humiliation. Humility is when I choose humility for myself, but humiliation is when somebody else chooses humility on my behalf. That's humiliation. Nobody likes to be humiliated. Humiliated is when you have humility thrust upon you. Humility is the gap between how you see yourself and how things really are. And so you think you're you know, pretty put together, and then you go into that meeting with a giant mustard stain on your shirt, and you didn't realize it. Uh, you, you know, don't show that picture of me. Get that picture off the internet because you know, it doesn't, this doesn't look good. We've gotten to the point now where we take pictures up high because we look thinner. Every selfie is 15 feet in the air, you know? Uh, you leave a meeting at work and you're like, man, I nailed it. I did pretty good. And then you get the feedback and you realize you really bombed. You, you projected an image that was so successful and then something happened. Maybe it was even out of your control. And now you're filing bankruptcy and now you're just embarrassed. You thought you were going to get a promotion and instead you ended up getting laid off. Uh, something or someone humbled you on your behalf. That's humiliation. And the reason that happens is ultimately because we, we struggle with insecurity and we're constantly trying to manage our image. And it's all pride. And here's a few ways that you can tell if you have pride in your life and insecurity growing in your heart and, and you're obsessed with yourself. One is you compare yourself to others. Think about this. Comparing yourself to other people always breeds insecurity. And here's why. Because there is always someone taller, smarter, more athletic, handsomer, wealthier, funnier, fitter, skinnier, intelligenter. Uh, here's another way. If your self-worth is determined by your latest results, and whatever your latest results are, that's how you determine your self-worth. And the truth is, people who are secure take results seriously, but they don't take them personally. They're able to separate what they do from who they are. They don't confuse uh, action and behavior with identity. They recognize this is what I do, but this is who I am. And what happens is when those two things blend together, you start to view your self-worth by your latest results. That might be a sign that there's some insecurity and some pride in you. How about this? You can't celebrate someone else's success. We talked about this last week. I was recently chatting with a, a buddy who's a pastor, and during COVID, they built their first building, and they just exploded in growth. And uh, I was talking to him recently, and I just, he's like, man, we're, we built like in, during COVID, and now we've purchased more land, and we're actually adding on to the building, and we're just growing like crazy. And I was like, dude, that is amazing, and I'm so happy for God's kingdom. And also, uh, we can't be friends anymore. Like, it's just pride, right? What is it in you that just, what is it in me, right? Uh, how about this one? You know that there's pride and insecurity if you squeeze talented people out of your life. Because if you always have to be the big fish, then you make sure that you shrink the pond. And if you're constantly squeezing out talented and gifted people out of your life, you might want to check your insecurity. That might be a breeding ground for pride. And the reason it's so important for us to talk about this is because of the incredibly negative side effects that pride has in our lives. Particularly, pride prevents my personal growth. Pride keeps me from growing. You can't grow with pride in your heart because as long as you're the only one who knows everything, then you can't receive instruction. You can't receive wisdom from others. You can't receive constructive criticism. You can't receive feedback because you know best. It's very difficult to learn from somebody else. And so you've got to determine, do I want to look wise or do I want to be wise? 
Do I want to just look it? Do I want to look the part? Or do I want to actually receive wisdom? Because the way to get wisdom is through other people. It's, not, it's understanding. I don't know it all myself. In fact, I, I love this verse. It says this in uh, Proverbs. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. If you are willing to accept discipline, if you're willing to accept feedback, constructive criticism, uh, advice, uh, you know, whatever it is, the wisdom from other people, you're on the pathway to life. But those who ignore correction will go astray. In other words, people who think, no, I know best, uh, you know, I can't hear from other people, you're going to find yourself on a wrong path. So, so ask yourself this question. How willing are you to be corrected? Are you teachable? Are you open to criticism? Are you open to feedback? Are you open to uh, the counsel of others, the advice of others? Or is your pride causing you to get stuck in a rut? Do you listen to messages at Westbridge each week and as you leave, you think of all the people who really needed to hear that? Or or do you use it uh, less as a uh, a laser to point at other people and less as as a magnifying glass and more as a mirror and point it back at yourself and say, how can this apply to me? Do you work on applying it in your own life? Because pride is what keeps us from getting help in our marriage when we need it most. Pride is what keeps us from getting help in our finances when we need it most. Pride is what keeps us from getting help in our parenting when we need it most. Pride is what keeps us from getting into recovery when we need it the most. It's pride. Pride prevents personal growth. So how proactive are you in seeking out help for areas in your life where you're struggling? Let's ask another question. How do we respond to correction or rebuke or instruction? This is great personal self-reflection. Do I get defensive? Do I get angry? Do I get upset? Do I get offended? Uh, do, you, do, do I always think, no, the, the problem is with the other person? Because as long as you allow pride to skew your view of yourself, and as long as I allow pride to skew my view of myself, it's always going to stunt our own personal growth. I, if I'm the only one that I can learn from, if I'm the only one who knows it, If I can't receive feedback, uh, well, you know what? I got a problem with that person or with that group of people. So even though the thing they're saying is truth, I can't accept it because of where it's coming from. That's just pride. And it will always stunt our personal growth. Here's another uh, side effect of pride. Pride shuts out others. It shuts people out. See, pride causes conflict. Pride holds grudges. Uh, Pride thinks my schedule is more important than your schedule. Pride won't forgive. It keeps score. It's arrogant. It it conveys this attitude that I'm better than somebody else. And pride keeps me from listening to others. And here's the reality. As we've gone through this series over the last several weeks, and some of you have heard some of the things that we're talking about, and you think, you know what? It would be good. Confession would be good. It would help rid my heart of the guilt that I experience. Or you think, you know what, forgiveness, that would be really good. It would help get rid of the anger and the resentment and the bitterness that I experience. Or maybe you think to yourself, generosity would be good. That would be a good way to live my life. Because sometimes I start to live like this, like I owe it to myself. Or maybe even celebrating other people because I tend to be jealous of others. But man, it would be so great if I could learn that. And the only thing that keeps you from doing that, any of those things, is pride. 
It's the only thing that stops you. And what ends up happening is it starts to wreak havoc in your relationships. It's, it keeps others shut out from experiencing a closer relationship with you because of your inability to forgive, your inability to apologize or confess or to celebrate the good or to be generous with others. And as a result, it keeps others at arm's distance. Pride crowds out other people because when you're full of you, there's no room for anyone else. And you don't even realize it when it's happening. There are people who walk around on eggshells around you because of the le least little comment might make you arrogant or, or passive aggressive or maybe even aggressive aggressive. And so in Proverbs, there's this great wisdom that comes from the Proverbs. Solomon writes this, pride leads to conflict. Not only does it stunt my personal growth, it actually leads to conflict in my relationships. Those who take advice are wise. Pride will lead to conflict. And almost everybody I know has one of these family feud type of stories somewhere in their extended family, right? Like Uncle Joe doesn't show up to Thanksgiving anymore because him and Aunt Sally haven't talked in 10 years. Uh, my mom and my sister, they're just not on speaking terms right now. Yeah, you know, my dad and my brother, they, they just, they don't talk to each other. There's, there's a grudge there. They had a falling out. And the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of these relational conflicts could be solved if someone, somewhere along the way, would swallow their pride, would choose humility. When was the last time you said, I'm sorry to your spouse? When was the last time that you just said, you know what? I was wrong. That's so hard to do, isn't it? What is it in us that it, even when you know you're wrong, you're like, I don't want to give them the satisfaction. What is that in us? It's pride. When was the last time your kids heard you say, hey, you know what? I should have handled that better. Please forgive me. Hey, you know that thing that you did that I do every day and nobody yells at me for, but you did it and I yelled at you? Man, that, that is more of an indication of what's going on in me than, than you. And I should not have handled it that way. I could have handled that better. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. When's the last time that you said that? Are you masking your pride? Or are you dealing with it? Are you leading by example in your home? See, pride poisons our relationships because it keeps us from admitting our mistakes. And, and we think if we admit to something, people will think less of us. But the truth is this, uh, like it doesn't reveal a weakness. Pride, uh, pride is the weakness. The opposite is true. The more authentic, the more honest, the more humble you are, the more that you admit your shortcomings, the more people respect you, the more it invites others in. Pride keeps people at arm's distance. So it stunts my personal growth. It, it keeps others out. It pushes others away. But here's what else pride does. Pride shuts out God. Pride doesn't just shut out other people. Pride shuts out God. When you, when you, fail to address your insecurities, it leads to pride. And when you're so filled with pride and obsession with yourself, it's very difficult to connect with a humble Savior who is obsessed with others. Think about how Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into our world in humility, born a humble Savior, lived a humble life, died in a humbling way. And if you are so consumed with pride that you, you worry about yourself and your insecurities and how people are going to view you, it's very difficult in your pride to connect with a humble Savior. God creates in you, and uh, pride creates in you an internal emotional state that actually shuts God out, that keeps God at arm's distance. 
In fact, uh, in the Psalms, the author writes about this exact dynamic and, and what takes place when life is all about us and when we're obsessed with ourselves. And here's what he writes. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. And we live in a society that very much has lived this out, that, that we know how life is to be lived. That God, you know what? You were probably needed at one point in time, but we've moved beyond you now, right? Well, thanks, but no thanks. We've got this. We live in a modern era in human history. And in our pride, the writer of the Psalm says, in our pride, there's no thought of God. In our pride, we don't need him. In our pride, we don't turn to God to seek his ways. At the end of the pride spectrum, the thought is that I really am the center of my own universe. And because pride has the potential to push God out, to shut God out, to crowd God out, for some of you, for some of you, it is your pride, not your intellect, that has kept God at arm's distance. And for some of you, because you don't want to acknowledge your need for God, so you create intellectual barriers. And you say, well, God, what about this? And what about that? And I can never believe in a God who? And I can never believe in a God that? And you, and you create these intellectual barriers to keep God at arm's distance because you don't want to have to actually admit, God, your way might be better. And if you're honest with yourself, it is your pride, not your intellect, that is actually keeping God at arm's distance. And maybe you would be willing to acknowledge that. Because here's what I know. Pride is a prison. Pride is a prison. Pride shuts us in and it shuts God and others out. And the crazy thing is not a single person in the world would opt for that on purpose. But we do it to ourselves. And pride is so subtle, it creeps in and it wreaks havoc in our personal growth and in our relationships and in our spiritual growth. And so the way to clean out pride out of your heart is through humility. It's through humility. And you can either be humiliated, you can have humility thrust upon you, or you can choose humility. And the truth is, there's nowhere in the scriptures that advises us or guides us or counsels us or commands us to pray for humility. Instead, we are to simply humble ourselves, to make the decision to humble ourselves. And so here is what Jesus taught and here's what Jesus modeled. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow pride. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow my pride, to unhitch myself from my pride. And we believe that you can follow Jesus without believing everything that followers of Jesus believe about Jesus. That's good news. If you're watching online, if you're here for the first time or the fifth time, and, and you're still like, I'm just trying to figure out this whole God thing, and I don't, I don't even know where I stand with Jesus— you can actually begin to follow Jesus in this area of your life even as you seek to discover who God is and who Jesus is. And you can begin to follow Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that the divine became flesh and blood. And maybe you're like, whoa, okay, I'm still trying to figure that out. I would suggest that you still follow Jesus in this area of your life. And the reason I know that that's true, that you can follow Jesus even as you're still trying to figure out who he is, is because that's what every single one of Jesus' disciples did. Nobody who was Jesus' disciples went, oh, that's the Son of God. Let's, let's hitch our wagon to that guy. They went, wow, he teaches some really unique things. Wow, he, I'm intrigued. I want to learn more. I want to discover who Jesus is. 
And they started to follow him. And as they started to follow him, they had their doubts. They had their questions. They they go, man, this guy is strange. He is mysterious. And they would ask their questions, but they kept one foot in front of the other. One step at a time, they followed Jesus. And Jesus taught and modeled a radically liberating version of humility. The kind of humility that sets us free. The kind of humility, uh, this approach to humility will help free you from the confines and the prison of pride. And so even if you don't buy into the entire message of Jesus and you're still trying to figure it out, this one particular thing that Jesus taught and that Jesus modeled is so powerful that it would be wise for you to follow Jesus' example when it comes to pride and humility. Jesus redefined greatness when he came into the world. In the world that Jesus stepped into in the first century in the Roman Empire, might made right. Whoever had the biggest army made the rules. Whoever had all the the gold and silver and riches and wealth and influence, they leveraged all of their might and all of their power and all of their influence for themselves to keep their power and their might and their influence. And into that world, Jesus steps into and he redefines greatness. He says, no, no, no. Greatness isn't whoever's the strongest and the most powerful and the most mighty and and the richest and the wealthiest and the most influential. Greatness is determined by those who serve. So Jesus comes along and he says, meek is the new black. In fact, here's the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter five. He's teaching on this. He says, God blesses those who are humble. Uh, Another translation says, uh, you know, blessed or happy are the meek. God blesses those who are humble or meek for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, we tend to see humility and meekness as a liability and not as a strength. We just don't tend to think in those terms. So think about it like this. If I were to say to you, uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, what comes to your mind? Star Wars, right? Yeah. And you can probably even picture these little tiny words on this scrolling screen in a weird way. Or if I were to say to you this, I have a dream, what comes to mind? Martin Luther King Jr., <clears throat> Maybe you can even picture it on a, on a small black and white screen. Or if I were to say to you this, discovered by Germans in 1904, they named it San Diego. What comes to mind? Ron Burgundy from Anchorman. <laughs> and the point is certain words, certain phrases conjure up images and ideas in our minds and worlds of associations. And the truth is we don't tend to use the word meek in our day-to-day language. Because when we say meek or humble, we tend to think of wimpy. That's just the association that comes in our minds. No coach has ever said, get in the game. I want you to get after that quarterback and I want you to really nurture him. (laughs) Right? It's just like, it's not the coaching we receive. Anybody looking for a guy that's tall, dark, and docile? No. You don't find that on any dating profiles, right? And Jesus is saying the way to discover God-given, sustaining joy in life is to learn how to be humble. To say, okay, God, there's some, your way might be best. I don't know it all. In fact, I'm not even worried that I'm perceived as someone who knows it all. I'm not even, I'm not even worried that people perceive me as someone who's got it all together. God, I'm a mess. Help. God goes, ah, that's someone that's on the path to sustained joy and blessing and happiness and because they recognize, God, I'm not worried about how other people see me. I want to see myself the way you see me. And and I look at my life and I recognize I fall short in so many areas. So God, help me. 
God says, God blesses those who are humble, who recognize their need for him. They're the ones who will inherit the earth. They're the ones who will experience the fullness of sustained joy in their life. And Jesus, when he invites us to follow him, he invites us to unfollow his pride. And, and here's where this plays itself out the most is in relationships, and here's why. Jesus initiated reconciliation. Jesus initiated reconciliation. Here's why that's significant. Jesus was right, and he had been wronged. He was 100% God. He was the divine who became flesh and blood. And he, he stood in the right as the divine, and yet he had been wronged by people. In fact, we, throughout the scriptures, we're told we fall short of God's way of living. And we don't need a Bible verse to tell us that. I look at my own life, and I fall short of my own standards, let alone God's. And so as a result of that, I said to God, hey, God, thanks, but no thanks. I, I got this. I'm going to live life my own way. And the truth is, Jesus came into a world that was broken and where everyone had gone their own way, done their own thing, said, God, thanks, but no thanks. And it caused a whole lot of brokenness and a whole lot of mess. And into that world, Jesus stepped. And his, his posture towards broken human beings was not, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. His posture towards broken human beings was, hey, I want to initiate reconciliation. I want the relationship to be restored. Even if you're not even thinking about it, God sent Jesus into the world to say, I'm thinking about it. If you follow Jesus in this one area in your relationships, there is no area of your life that wouldn't be better. There's almost nothing that couldn't be mended and that couldn't be healed. If you just said in humility, I'm going to initiate reconciliation. And so the Apostle Paul, a guy in the first century who would start churches and he'd write letters to people to help them understand how to live out the way of Jesus. He's writing to people living in uh, Philippi in this region and he's writing to them about when God sent Jesus into the world. And here's what he writes about this and it applies to us today as well. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be spiritually mature, then you have to adopt the attitude that Jesus had. To, that's what spiritual maturity is, is I become more like Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Though he was divine, he didn't think of that as, he didn't play the God card. He didn't play the divine card. He didn't hold on to his, to his privileges and his rights. He was willing to lay his rights aside. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus never played the God card. Even though he was God, he didn't cling to that. He made, he humbled himself. He was born in humility. He lived in humility. He died in humility. And all God wants you to do is apologize. All he's asking you to do is just write a letter. All he's asking you to do is shut up and listen. All he's asking you to do is go to your son and go to your daughter and say, hey, I am so proud of you. All he wants you to do is go to your son, go to your daughter and say, I love you so much. All he wants you to do is initiate reconciliation with someone who has wronged you. This is mind-bending, uh, relationship-mending humility. It will break the power of pride in your life, and you will never miss it once it's broken. You know what's so amazing about this? We already know this. Nobody is here today taking notes going, oh, yeah, he is so smart. 
Most of you are like, duh. Heard this before? And yet it's so emotional for us, isn't it? It's so emotional. Our emotions tell our brain to come up with a reason for us not to feel it. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have no excuse not to do this because the entire message of Jesus is predicated on humility. That God gave up his divine privileges. Jesus gave up his divine privileges as the divine. He became flesh and blood. He was born in humility, lived in humility, died in humility. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to embrace humility somewhere along the way. Here's some questions to ask to help you sort of root this out in, in your own life. Number one, how does pride manifest itself in me? Like, where does pride actually kind of show up? How does that, how does that uh, show itself externally if I've got some pride in my heart? And, and if you don't know the answer to this question, uh, I promise you someone close to you does. So I would suggest go out to lunch today uh, with uh, your family, a group of friends, and just ask them, pre- preferably towards the end of lunch if you want to enjoy lunch, right? And hey, how do you think pride shows up in me? And if they all make eye contact with each other and no one looks at you, might have an issue. You know how pride manifests itself in me? I'll be honest with you. I'll, I'll, I'll share it. When I hear about other pastors who are doing really cool things and I think, I start to get a little jealous I hear about someone who's gained a lot of influence, and I start thinking, like, I don't see what's so special about them. (laughs) You know what that is? That is plain old-fashioned pride. That's all it is. As I get older, I start to get, I feel entitled to things. Well, you know, when we started the church, I was 26. It's like, all right, man, you got to pay your dues. You got to earn your, but then after a while, you're like, I mean, I've earned this. You know what that is? That's just pride. The truth is, I'm the interim pastor here. Have been for 17 years. Someday somebody else is going to pastor this place. That's why I never want to have an executive office suite at the church. You're never going to find that. Oh, he's got a big executive suite back there. That's why you're never going to find a parking spot that says, reserved for the pastor. <laughs> you don't know Why? It's not because I'm humble, okay? You're like, oh, you're so humble. No, it's because I know what pride does. I know that pride in me is so big and so ugly and so powerful, I don't even want to give it any space to grow. But that's just, I know how it's going to manifest in me. A sense of entitlement, a sense of I've earned this, a sense of this, this belongs to me because look what I've done. And I know that if I let that take root, that will manifest as pride in me. Where does, where does pride manifest in you? Ask yourself that question. Here's another great question to ask. What does pride masquerade as in me? How, how do I hide it? How do I disguise it, right? In your, is your arrogance masquerading as confidence? Oh, I'm not arrogant. I'm just confident. No, dude, you're arrogant. Is confidence how you hide and mask that? Is it intellect? Is it, is it fashion? Is it sarcasm? A commitment to excellence? Is it the humble brag? Is it image management? And whenever you realize how you're disguising your pride, the best thing that you can do is name it, call it out, and call it what it is, and it will help break the power of pride in your life. Finally, let me ask you this question. We should all ask ourselves this. How long do I intend to allow pride to imprison me? If pride truly stunts my growth, if pride shuts others out, if pride shuts God out, if pride has become a prison, 
how long do I intend to let this imprison me? A month? A year? The rest of my life? I mean, wouldn't you like to kill it? Wouldn't you like to get rid of it? Wouldn't you like to have closer relationships with the people in your life? Wouldn't you like to apologize and get that guilt out of your heart? Wouldn't you like to forgive and get that anger and bitter and resentment out of your heart? Wouldn't you like to celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life and not feel that jealousy and that envy? Wouldn't you like to be generous with what God has entrusted to you and root greed out of your heart? And the only thing that's keeping you from doing all of that is pride. And so how long do I intend to let pride imprison me? How long do I intend to keep God at a distance and keep others at a distance? Wouldn't you like to experience deeper connectedness with God and with others? So how long will I let pride imprison me? Wouldn't you like to make sure that you don't keep yourself from growing? Are you ready to break the power of pride in your life? Are you ready to to tell pride it will no longer ruin your life? Are you ready to do something that you've never done before? Are you ready to apologize? Are you ready to ask for forgiveness? Are you ready to admit that you have a drinking problem? Are you ready to admit the sin in my life? Are you ready to drag it into the light? Are you ready to initiate reconciliation with someone, even though they carry a bigger percentage of the wrong and you're only, you know, 10% wrong and they're 90% wrong and they're much wronger. But no, Jesus was 100% right and he initiated reconciliation and I want to be like Jesus. And so I'm not going to let my pride keep me from doing that anymore. You ready to initiate that? Why would you continue to embrace and follow something that has the potential to kill you rather than follow and embrace the one who died for you. And if you're not even sure about who Jesus is, if you're just exploring this faith in Jesus thing, why would you not embrace, at at the minimum, his radical approach to humility? Because it is the power to say, you will no longer shut in, be shut in, and, and have God and others shut out. And so, Peter borrows from Proverbs from Proverbs. And Peter writes, humble yourself. He, sa- he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then he says this, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. What if instead of worrying and letting insecurity drive my pride and worrying about how other people perceive me and worrying about how other people see me and, and worrying about my results and uh, equating that with my self-worth, what if I just said, God, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you. So I'm going to choose to humble myself, which means I'm going to choose to confess. I'm going to choose to forgive. I'm going to choose to be generous. I'm going to choose to be kind. I'm going to not worry about what other people think. I'm going to choose to celebrate the success of others. I'm going to do all these things because I'm going to choose humility. I'm going to humble myself. I'm not going to pray and ask for humility. I'm going to choose to humble myself. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus could have come into the world as the reigning king and made everyone bow before him. And just said, bow before me. But instead, he comes in humility to serve and to show how much God loves us. And in humility, he's born in a stable feeding trough, living in humility with no place to lay his head, and then showing love to everybody in the world that nobody else would love. And then in humility, dies a humble, humiliating death. And in his final breaths, prays for forgiveness for the people who are putting him to death. And then Paul says, you should have the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who didn't cling to his rights. He gave up his rights, even though he was right. You want to be like Jesus. You got to lay aside your pride. And so Jesus was put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. 
And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. He overcame death so that you and I could know that there is more to this life than this life, that death is not the end, and you have been invited to follow Jesus. You've been invited to be a part of God's family. And there is only one thing stopping you. See, God has removed every single barrier from following Jesus except for one, your pride and my pride. The only way to say yes to Jesus is to, in humility, say, God, you're God and I'm not. The world doesn't revolve around me. There's some stuff I don't know. There's some choices I've made I wish I hadn't made. Some things I said I wish I hadn't said. I've kind of made a mess here and there. My life is not perfect. I need you. The only thing, the only barrier between human beings and God is our pride. So would you be willing to set that aside and say, God, I want to follow your way. And if you've never said yes to the invitation to follow Jesus, to set your pride aside and to follow him, you can say yes by just agreeing with this simple prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you, that I've allowed pride to lead my life. And I've just said, I'm going to live life the way I want to live life. And I recognize now it's caused a lot of brokenness. So I ask you to forgive me. Make me your son, make me your daughter, and help me to put my trust in you. Help me to follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us, because pride is one of these things that we just struggle with constantly. It just finds its way into our hearts. And so I pray, help us to guard our hearts from pride. Help us to humble ourselves as often as needed to keep rooting pride out of our hearts so that we can grow to become like Jesus, that we can love the way that you love, and we can trust you. And God, I pray for each of us as we reflect on our own lives in this topic, give us the wisdom to know how to apply this to our lives and then give us the courage to do it this week. In Jesus' name, amen.